Cold Dive. I'm your host, Lucas, aka Chrono Kirby. And this is the place for musings on technology, cryptography, and whatever else is on my mind. Uh, so today I'm, I'm procrastinating on working on my thesis, uh, my master's thesis at EPFL. And I'm procrastinating by recording this podcast. Uh, but uh, to redeem myself, I'm going to talk a bit about uh, what I'm researching this semester with uh, the help of, you know, supervisors and whatnot. So um, the first paper that's going to be included in part in the thesis has already been uh, put out in the wild. That's the Modular Protocol Security Paper, or MPS, thingy I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, uh, and which I'm not going to delve into fully uh, today, because I plan on spending a bit more time just talking about that in its own episode. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, one of the papers. Uh, I, I guess the way I'll sort of organize this is that I'll talk a bit uh, in detail about like each of the things I plan on doing. And then that'll, you know, be an episode. So, MPS, the basic uh, motivation is that I wasn't a big fan of how the main framework we have for protocol security and cryptography, uh, UC security, these other ones, of course, and other approaches. But I wasn't sort of satisfied with the way proofs looked in that framework, even my own, uh, especially my own, in fact. And so I wanted to try my hand while I had some spare time between semesters of, you know, redoing the framework in a, in a way that I, I prefer. So it really is kind of a subjective thing. And I'm a big fan of state separable proofs for standalone security uh, with games. And so I thought, oh, I might as well try and extend that, that framework and the things I like about it to the protocol setting. And I think I did an okay job at doing that. And to the point where I've been using MPS for some of the proofs in my other work, and it's been okay, so uh, I continue to plan on using it. And that was the main motivation, uh, because I knew I was going to do some research on MPC, and so I thought, well, I'm going to have to write a lot of UC proofs, uh, might as well make my life a bit easier by doing some hard work to simplify what those look like, right? So that's MPS. More to, more to come on this very podcast about that in the near future. And then another thing I, I plan to incorporate on my thesis, which I'm sort of working on now, though I'm not at the stage where I'm in a paper, uh, is Kate Seth. So I talked about that in the entire podcast yesterday, so I'm not going to resume it. It's a threshold ECDSA protocol. It's it's fast. Uh, it's nice. It's simple. But uh, sort of the main uh, missing piece academically is the security proof and whatnot. Uh, otherwise, in terms of, you know, the protocol, it's uh, complete and implemented and you even have, you know, benchmarks and network benchmarks. So uh, that part of the paper is uh, the materials there. I need to write it, of course. I haven't started uh, even a page. Well, I think I might have created the the GitHub repo and like a latex template <laughs> for that. That's the that's the progress. So, yeah, there's going to be a whole, you know, paper proving the security of Kate Seth uh, using MPS. It's taken a bit longer, uh, like not necessarily expected, because uh, I didn't have any firm expectations, but then I had hoped for with the proof, um, mainly because sort of uh, I need to resolve details about how different aspects of MPS should work. Uh, for example, you know, what should a, the communication model be like? You know, there's nothing to base yourselves off there. 
Also, some extra details need to be proven because uh, for the sake of completeness and also providing extra examples. For example, I could have said, oh, well, you know, this thing called broadcast. I assume that, you know, this uh, this protocol we have implements, implements it correctly because there's like some other versions of this in the literature. Uh, but I felt like having a, uh, an MPS analysis was useful for the sake of internal completeness and also because maybe some of the details were a bit different from uh, the literature. So yeah, I'm working on that, chugging along. It's sort of my main focus at the at the moment because I'd like to get that sort of paper done because there's definitely uh, interest in using Kate Sith and having a security analysis would would help with that a lot because you know using a protocol with no security analysis or audits is not uh, comforting in production at least. All right, and I guess uh, at this point I should probably say that the proposed title. For like the research is like uh, MPC in public. I guess that you know I actually I shouldn't have introduced that now because it'll make more sense in like five minutes when I explain uh, the main, you know, point about the work. Uh, but you know it's uh, it, it sort of kind of is MPC in public in like a, a dual sense, uh, in the sense that uh, Kate Smith makes threshold ECDSA easier to use, right? So. It's MPC for the public, you know, MPC for the people by the people. But the main, the main crux of uh, the thesis, or at least what I expect to be the main crux, is uh, a model of MPC that I call the bulletin board model. So basically, an MPC, the you know, I think I've tried to to make elevator pitches for MPC like hundreds of times. Well. I've only recorded 19 podcasts, so about hundreds of times, uh, perhaps five times, seems like a good guesstimate to me. So I've tried to explain what, what MPC is in 30 seconds. I guess this is going to be number six. So basically, MPC, uh, a group of parties with separate inputs that they don't want to reveal to each other, like their wealth or what are their bids in a sealed auction, uh, they can use MPC to compute some kind of result, for example, the outcome of an auction without revealing any other information, even if some people cheat. And the usual model communication is that the parties sort of send messages to each other. Each party is connected to the other person and they can send a private message and that message can't be tampered with and the person receiving it knows that it came from that person. And cheating is a very important aspect of MPC. And usually when more than a majority of nodes are malicious, you can no longer guarantee that the protocol will continue to, to, to its end. What you can guarantee is that either the outcome will be correct and, and private, or that uh, the adversary can cause the protocol to abort at a specific point in time. So the adversary can cause the protocol to end early, earlier than it should. So this is the sort of security with abort notion as it's termed. And sort of in reaction to that, some, uh, many people have tried to have a bit of a stronger notion of security called security with identifiable abort, which means that, well, if an abort happens, you can at least detect one of the cheating parties. And the advantage of, of being able to identify one of the cheating parties is that you can sort of say, well, maybe we remove this participant 
uh, from the set of parties and we can make progress. Because otherwise, when an abort happens, the usual way you'd handle this is you would restart the protocol or maybe, you know, halt things and try and investigate. And the sort of idea behind identifiable aborts is that this sort of removes the penalty of causing free aborts because you can sort of restart uh, with one less person that's cheating or even impose some kind of economic penalty by slashing the person. I've talked about identifiable aborts before in this podcast, so I won't sort of resume my criticisms of the model. Uh, the main criticism that's sort of relevant uh, to the work I'm doing is that often to get these, the guarantees you can get with identifiable aborts, you need to have sort of complicated uh, protocols to sort of detect cheaters. So some protocols, the way they're written is that they have sort of a good case where, you know, stuff happens normally, and then some kind of error happens, and you're not immediately going to blame the person raising the error because maybe it's the fault of someone else. So then you engage in a kind of detective protocol where you have a whole separate protocol where people need to communicate to figure out who cheated. Uh, one example is in what's called a broadcast. So in a broadcast, you basically want to guarantee that one person sends the same message to all their parties. Uh, one sort of simple way of doing this is that you can, if the messages are you know allowed to be revealed, is that you can send uh, the message to all other people. And then people see sort of what every other person saw, and they can sort of detect if there's a disagreement there. Uh, but just if you take this protocol naively, you can't distinguish between a person having been, two people having receiving uh, having received the di two different messages from the same person, or one of them lying about the fact that they received a different message. And to distinguish those two things, you need to basically a sort of detective protocol where people then talk about the other messages they've received. And then the issue I sort of have with detective protocols is that, well, someone could then cheat during the detective protocol <laughs> and they didn't have to sort of identify that. And there's some harness results that for things like broadcast, you basically kind of need consensus uh, because a broadcast is basically kind of like consensus about who sent what message, right? So motivated by that kind of situation, I thought, well, it would be a lot simpler to achieve identifiable abort if you had a public bulletin board uh, to use. And this bulletin board would basically provide public consensus over all the messages that have been sent. Um, and that would be very useful because you can easily provide identifiable abort as just an algorithm. So you have a judge algorithm which just runs and reads the bulletin board and decides who cheated uh, and maybe even compute the output. And so I talked about this model before in an episode, uh, at least partially. And so, yeah, the main crux of the thesis is exploring different variants of this model. Uh, how they can be implemented, uh, it's not a big focus uh, because basically the idea is that uh, you have a blockchain or some kind of consensus mechanism and, uh, you know, distributed systems, you know, the, how to implement a consensus is not, uh, there's very, many ways of doing that. That's not really the, the important part. What is interesting is constructing more advanced bulletin boards from simpler ones. For example, one thing you want to do is I want to have private messages. Then I want to be able to complain about private messages I received and sort of open them. And I want to open them in a way where I can't like change what's inside of them. So once people have consensus over like sort of a hidden message at the start, I can't then open it to a different message later. So kind of like committed version of encryption. Uh, and the idea is that 
you could construct such a sort of private bulletin board from a public one, uh, and then you sort of prove that you know reductions carry out. Another thing that I'm gonna try and, and, and look at, which benefits a lot from the work I did on MPS, is that you can sort of show that proving security in the bulletin board model is simpler than general protocol security. So you can prove that, oh, you know, if you show a simulator that works in this way, and maybe the simulator needs to generate all the messages in the bulletin board, uh, then that guarantees that you have full UC security or NPS security in this case. And that would be useful because then it sort of simplifies the analysis of protocols which use bulletin boards uh, because sort of details like messaging and a board don't need to be taken care of because everything's just about the, the board. And then another thing I want to look into is the notion of what I call synchronous bulletin boards. So uh, the idea is that a synchronous bulletin board also allows to mark when a party has not sent a message in a particular round. That's very useful because then it allows you to do what I call robust protocols. So those are ones that sort of continue execution, even if some people are like dead. If a node is particularly unresponsive, you can continue the execution as long as you have enough nodes remaining. And developing robust protocols is something that increasingly I see demand for in terms of real world applications. Um, and so sort of like the ideal system uh, using robustness like this would be you have sort of a consensus running between nodes and they create this public bulletin board amongst themselves. And then they use that to exchange messages. And even if some of the nodes are temporarily down, you can still continue to perform things like signing and PC in general. So I see that as very useful. Also, another application, talking about applications of the bulletin board stuff, I see is like on-chain MPC. Uh, for example, maybe you want to have some kind of auction and you want the result to be usable to have some kind of, you know, outcome happen. So the idea is like each message could be posted to a smart contract, which acts as a bulletin board. And then the smart contract itself would decide what to do with the result. Because depending on what model of the board you have, the board could be required to... Well, Basically, have a judge algorithm running on the board deciding who cheated, but maybe you could even require that the judge can compute the output using just the messages and maybe some public information. That'd be useful because then you could sort of have a smart contract automatically take some action. So you can imagine a thing where if somebody is identified as cheating, they get slashed by the contract, and if the result succeeds, then you do something based on the outcome. And then sort of an extension of bulletin boards that you might consider is saying, okay, how do I compile a bulletin board which you know puts everything on chain to one which just posts like commitments on chain and then posts like complaints. You can, you can imagine a kind of fraud proof mechanism, right? Where someone only posts, you know, the full log of what happened uh, once they've, uh, they, they have some kind of complaint. So in the, in the good case, you don't post that much on chain because sort of each message is just like a commitment to the message you would have sent. And then the rest is sent uh, off chain or off the bulletin board. And this is a useful model because it sort of allows you to compress the constr bandwidth constraints at least to a constant amount per round, which is useful if you have a protocol that's high bandwidth but low round. And that's sort of the case for some of the protocols in Kate Sith, even. Because, for example, for generating triples, if you were to do all the messages on chain, if you want a robust version, the messages would be like megabytes large, so it's not great. But you could post a hash of the message you would have sent. Uh, and that's going to be fine in the usual case if it disincentivizes cheating because then 
you won't need to submit a farm proof because nobody cheated and you have no complaints and so stuff is compressed one thing i need to look in and you could basically prove that you know this former bulletin board reduces to that other form so you could have nice security guarantees about this right you can have a nice form of analysis that, oh, you can compile this succinct bulletin board to a public bulletin board by using uh, an outside of bulletin board uh, messaging system. So it'd be a useful result that you, you, you might try and prove. I was going to say something before I interrupted myself. Okay, well, it was probably something dumb anyways, right? So that's the, that's the main crux of this stuff. Right now, I'm just developing different notions of bulletin board and then Probably in the near future, we can start proving some stuff about it. I think the main uh, designations are the notion of private versus public output. Uh, what the no what the judge algorithm should be able to compute from the board itself is something you want to define precisely and consider. Uh, and then in terms of pri and also you want private messages potentially, and you probably want to compile private message bulletin boards with sort of revealing capabilities to public ones. Uh, then you want whole notions of synchronous bulletin boards and then compile them to sort of bulletin boards with like a clock and be a useful thing you could prove. The notion of clock in UC is, 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 is funny too. It requires like functionalities to sort of know which parties are honest. I paused the podcast earlier because I was thinking, was thinking about the problem which I haven't fully resolved of how to, how to let MPS functionalities know which uh, set of parties are honest or not. And I think I found a little solution to that. But yeah, I still need to think about that further. But sometimes, like, things come up, and, like, I found a lot recently because I've been thinking about, like, whenever you're defining new stuff in, like, math or cryptography, you have this, like, existential dread sometimes. You're like, oh, did I define stuff wrong? And, like, what if, what about this edge case? Uh, oh, it's not going to work. And, like, you think about, like, these edge cases, and you're like, oh, you know, maybe it's actually okay. Uh, and so you're thinking about, like, limitations of, uh, of stuff you've defined. And so, like, sometimes I have these intrusive thoughts of uh, deficiencies and formal models that I've made. So then what do I plan on? Uh, also, yeah, I mentioned the MPC in public thing, uh, you know, seven minutes ago. Uh, the question is why why that title? For, for Kitset, it's kind of stretching the title because it's like MPC for the public by making MPC easier. Uh, but for the bulletin board model, it makes more sense because the idea is, well, you, can, you might have publicly verifiable NPC using a bulletin board. You know, all the messages of the NPC computation are public. That's sort of the, the title. And so then, like, the main sort of paper I want to get out of using bulletin boards after that is sort of a robust uh, North Signature protocol. Because I think that sort of fits a, a little need there is. Right now, I'd say if you want to do robust Schnorr signatures, uh, your best bet is using Roast plus uh, Frost. But the way Roast kind of works is uh, it sort of formalizes the implicit way a lot of systems in production have been trying to get robustness, which is just retrying and knocking people out using the identifiable abort mechanism. Uh, it's nice to have some former guarantees there, but you can do much more efficient than that. Uh, the, the core idea behind robust Schnorr, at least in the modeling vision, is that everything is threshold shared throughout, uh, which is a bit more expensive. Uh, and might incur a round cost that I need to figure out how to resolve. And it's probably going to be the, the main tricky part of the work. But by having everything threshold shared, you can always continue. Because basically the problem now is that everything's linear shared once you start the protocol. And so then if anybody drops out, you're missing a share. But if everything's always threshold shared, you can keep going. Because even if one person drops out, you have enough to recover the end result. 
And if you do a protocol like that, then you can keep going as long as uh, there's enough people remaining to reconstruct the, the thing signature. And having a, a bulletin board here is very useful because it you basically, instead of modeling, like instead of having to detect who's dead inside of the protocol itself, you just rely on the bulletin board, a synchronous one specifically, which just says, oh, this person didn't send a message this round and they're ne never going to send a message this round. So you just say, well, they're dead now. Uh, I'm going to ignore everything they, they say from now on until the end of the protocol. It makes me think, you know, something you also probably want to consider is splitting bulletin boards into like, you, you want to prove that like, oh, if I have one bulletin board per session by using a session ID, you know, I can sort of use a bu one bulletin board and split into multiple boards. That's something you probably want to prove to, but it's pretty simple, right? You just prefix each uh, message with like what, what protocol it belongs to, right? And then... That's four papers, right? Kate Seth, MPS, bulletin boards, and then Rubus Schnorr. And then probably a fifth one, uh, time willing, is uh, trying to apply the same ideas to Robust. Threshold ECDSA. Maybe a robust version of Kate Seth. Maybe call it Reeves uh, for the Final Fantasy VII reference twice over. Or like Tifa. I thought about that too. Well, you're deciding the name is the fun most fun part of writing the papers, right? So... That's also sort of an obvious thing you might want to do as well. Um, I could also try and revive the group reconstruction circuit idea and say, oh, let's do robust, uh, let's do robust things for every group reconstruction circuit, uh, which would sort of generalize both the Schnorr case and the ECDSA case, although with like slight, uh, slight caustic concreteness. Maybe I'll write that too. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I was a bit more bullish about the group reconstruction circuit idea. I don't think I ever talked about it on the podcast. Well, I think maybe I did. Um, I'm a bit more, a bit less bullish than I was before, because I think you can always get noticeably more con better concrete protocols by sort of not taking the general approach. Uh, but it does save a lot of sort of theoretical work by using GRCs, because you can just make one protocol that works for Bushnor and Threshold DC, say, at least if you use triples. Um, also, at one point I thought. I could use the same techniques I'm using for Kate Seth for group reconstruction circuits in general. And having thought about it a little bit, I found that hard. The idea I had at one point was that, oh, you could sort of replace the ZK proof approach of the original GRC paper with the, what I call group checking or group plain group commitment tricks of Kate Seth. The idea with Kate Seth is all the times you have like a plain group commitment, like you have some value, and you know, X times G that next is secret shared and then you can check operations involving revealing x by checking that sort of the revealed value uh, matches the commitment you had before and these commitments are homomorphic because you can add them together like if i have x and y and x times g and y times g i can get x plus y times g by adding the two big group points together so that's a very useful property for checking arithmetic and it sort of avoids the need for zero knowledge proofs because in the original GRC paper, the the MPC protocol I came up with was was just like uh, what's uh, it's is it BMR? It's the BMR approach for MPC when you do zk proofs at every step, right? The idea is to basically just prove in zero knowledge that everything you're computing is correct using power proofs because everything's homomorphic, which is convenient but a bit expensive and also stronger than you need because uh, well. You can aggregate uh, verification of the Maurer proofs. I, I think I mentioned that in the paper, but so that helps a little bit. Uh, but it's still a bit more 
cost than necessary. Each person needs to generate these proofs every time. And that's like extra noise and whatnot. So because of the difficulties in extending the ideas of Kate's at the GRCs, I'm a bit uh, bit more skeptical of whether or not the purchase like great in general. Um but I think the I think robust GRCs might still be a good good topic to look into. Because it would uh, would give you robust encryption in BLS too, right? Although I mean robust BLS, you don't really need to do anything. Uh same with like threshold encryption because it's one round. Anything that's one round is kind of easy to do in a, in a robust way. Um, it's difficult when you have multiple rounds. You need to generate a ra randomness. So when you need to generate randomness, basically you need to do a d uh, essentially do a DKG for that randomness. Yeah. So that's uh, that's sort of the roadmap uh, uh, for the thesis. Uh, have a few more months to work on that before I finish uh, mid July or so. So yeah, it's fun. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to work on this stuff at EPFL, of course. Uh, do I want to pad this is, this episode with another four minutes of me talking? Uh, probably not. You know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call it a day and uh, leave you with an extra four minutes of your time. I hope uh, you enjoyed this podcast and that you look forward to. More in-depth discussions on MPS. Right? I've been ad I've advertised it twice now. I have to do it at some point. But I also, I also have some other ideas for the podcast this week, so should be fun. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>